You only get a minute Better live while you're in it Cause it's gone in a blink And the older I get The truer it is It's the people you love Not the money and stuff That makes you rich And if they found a fountain of youth I wouldn't drink a drop And that's the truth Funny how it feels I'm just getting to my best years yet The older I get fewer friends I have But you don't need a lot when the ones that you've got have always got your back And the older I get the better I am Alan Jackson, the older I get I love that guy's music Hey, thanks for joining us Let's get in the ring I'm your host, Keith Marshall and let's go one more round. The only thing we have to do is fear itself. Tear down this wall. We will make America great again. If I say something and you don't want to listen, don't listen. One more round. Welcome to One More Round Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Keith Marshall, and we're going back at How to Rig an Election. It has a little different title this time. I wanted to be a little more specific about what we're going to be talking about, but I am following right in line uh, with a kind of a part two on how to rig an election. And I mentioned to you before, I just finished a really good book by Molly Hemingway called Rigged, and it talked about the 2020 election. And as I discussed that and some of the things that went on, also touched on some things that happened in the 2018 mayoral race and and city council race and school board that I was involved in uh, way back when. And I wanted to point out then, and as I'm going to today, some things that happened then that I think is important for all of us to talk about because we're going to see some of these same things in 2024. Do I believe the 2018 election was rigged? in the sense that I'm describing it for these episodes? Yes, I do. I sure do. But I want to be sure right from the beginning to point something out because I don't want anyone to mischaracterize what I'm saying or even how I feel about it, how I think about it. So I want to be very direct so you, so there's no wiggle room here uh, and no ambiguity about what I'm discussing or what I'm talking about. The 2018 election for mayor, do I believe that I lost absolutely I lost. Do I believe that the votes that were cast were legal? Absolutely I believe they were legal. And I lost by a couple hundred votes, 203, four, something like that. So am I trying to make a case for the fact that I could have won, should have won, really won? Uh Uh-uh. No, I lost. Clear and simple. I'm not going there. I don't think that. Um, Was I upset at the time that I lost? Well, sure. I, I don't like to lose. Uh, I I work hard to win. I believe in winning. It's that Bobcat pride that's instilled in me. I like to get up a little earlier, work a little harder, stay a little longer to make sure that I'm, I'm going to beat whatever circumstance that I'm in. And that election was no different. And anytime that you work hard for something like that and you lose, you're going to be disappointed. 
But I will say this. Sometimes, uh, like the old uh, Garth Brooks songs, uh, you should thank God for unanswered prayers. And I'll be honest, my wife and I have, have thanked God for that fact many, many times. Because truthfully, when I ran in 2018, I really had no personal drive or personal desire to be the mayor. I never did. I never really wanted to run for that office. I enjoyed working on council. I enjoyed the eight years that I spent, but I was ready to move on. So so why did I ran, run? I ran because I felt like I was the most person qualified for the job. I still believe that I was. And I, I knew the ins and outs of city government. I had learned those. I knew what to look for. I knew what to do and what not to do. And um, I felt like for the city's benefit, not that I'm some super great person, that's far from the truth, I just felt like for the city's benefit that they had they had trained me for eight years, I should step in and take it to the next step. And I felt like it was the right thing to do. I felt like it was service to the city that I love and to the community that I live in. But the citizens decided otherwise, and that's fine. But we're going to talk about some of the things that happened in that 2018 election that you lived through, and I think possibly you lived through these things and you didn't even know them. And we talked about a little bit uh, from the... Uh, the last podcast about a Roanoke Times article that was put out and, and how it really had a major impact on how people voted, especially those that I would consider maybe middle of the road, people that really didn't have a, a leaning direction, right or left, that just was, you know, trying to, to make a good decision for the city. And I understand, you know, based on that article, that false and unfair article, how they come to those conclusions. Um, but today I'm going to talk about something a little different in regards to 2018 that probably you have never heard about. You may have heard a little bit, but you, I guarantee you, for the vast majority of you, I'm going to touch on some subjects and some things that happened that you were not aware of that I believe had a part in rigging the 2018 election. Now, if you didn't listen to uh, How to Rig an Election Part 1, you may not understand exactly what I mean when I say rigging. So I, 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 I ask you, please go back and listen to, to part one. So this will be in a little better context, but just the, the quick cliff notes of, of the direction I'm going with this. It, it is not my purpose here uh, to say when I use the word rigged that an election was stolen illegally, that, that ballots were stuffed in a box and, or that um, people that shouldn't have voted legally did vote. No, I'm not saying that at all. Matter of fact, in Radford City, um, I have complete confidence in the way the election was run as far as counting votes uh, in 2018. And I don't believe for a second that any vote that was in there, except for maybe one. I do know one person who voted illegally and he was, a, and I, I'm not going to get into who it was, but I know he broke the law and I know he was not one of my supporters, but that's only one vote. And, and I'm not going to, it's insignificant, truthfully. So I believe the elections in Radford were held fairly. When I'm talking about rigging, I'm talking about things that can be done legally, okay, to influence the outcome of election, to, to encourage you to vote one way over the other because they've not acted completely fairly uh, in, in how the media uh, allowed information to get out. In my case, 2018, I talked about that unfair article. But mainly in, in, in episode one, we talked about what happened in the 2020 election uh, as far as the Trump campaign. We went over issues about... Uh, the media's unfair coverage of the election, how they dumped on Trump and attacked him over every item 
with the fake, you know, Russia gate garbage and, and all the things they did beginning in 2016, how they pointed out every flaw and made up flaws and made up investigations and used, you know, fake leaks from the FBI and others in order to just change the public opinion about Donald Trump with the electorate. But how, on the other hand, they suppressed true stories about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and, and issues that came up uh, during the campaign, how also big tech stepped in and, and blocked any kind of information about that, you know, the, the laptop from Hunter Biden and, and issues that come up about uh, Joe Biden. They blocked issues that things that Trump had done well about, you know, um, you know, getting out the vaccine and other things and phony stories. It's just, there's just a lot. And I encourage you to go back and listen to episode one. Um, and, but I wanted to add something again to that 2020 election that we really didn't, um, really didn't get a chance to cover. And I don't want to miss it here. Um, and, and, it, and it's important. And again, I, I referenced that book and I'll say it again. It was a book by Molly Hemingway called Rigged. And I encourage you, you know, I finished listening to it. Please go listen to it. You can listen to it on as an audio book for free through the Radford Public Library if you have a library card. I don't know if they have a hard copy there or not. But um, as for now, I've, I've mentioned it. So, you know, maybe uh, someone's going to call and try to get it off their list. I hope not. But you can listen to that for free right now. Um, but one of the things that, that I wanted to also add to that list, going back to that first episode, and I, and I mentioned that it would be one of the three topics that I wanted to cover this week, and that's inconsistent vote counting. Now, this one in particular, though it was litigated and didn't get anywhere, I might would put that past the category of legal votes or legal ways to rig because I felt like this one may have tipped over the edge. As a matter of fact, I know it tipped over the edge a little bit. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about what was going on in the state of Philadelphia because, excuse me, state of Pennsylvania, but in particular in Philadelphia, uh, inside Pennsylvania. I, I wanted to mention that there was a, a practice in, in Pennsylvania, actually a law at the time, 2020, that Mail-in ballots, and this is the way I understood it, mail-in ballots could not be counted, could not be tampered with, could not be opened, could not be looked at until election day. All right? They, you just had to wait until they came. And, and they had really strict rules about who could cast uh, who could cast a uh, absentee ballot. Those rules broke with the legislature, and, um, and they were thrown out the window illegally. That it was illegal. Uh, they did not follow state law and how they could be sent in. So they had a lot more ballots. So what was happening in some of the Democratic-leaning counties in order, according to them, to get out ahead because they had so many ballots? They were opening and looking at the ballots early. Now, I'm not talking about counting the, the, the votes. I'm talking about looking at the ballot itself, the information that was provided, and seeing if it was a usable ballot. Now, there's rules about what constitutes a legal ballot. In Pennsylvania, there's there's the rules in Virginia too. Uh, there's a, a, a matching signature that's required. Things have to be dated properly. There's several boxes that have to be filled out. And if you get to election day and those things are incorrect, their state law says that they have to be thrown out. They cannot be counted. But what was happening in the Democratic counties? They were looking at these ballots early and they were finding mistakes, left off signatures, left off boxes, left off dates. You know some of those things. They were contacting the voter and giving him the opportunity to come in and correct and fix their ballot. Now, that, of course, was against state law. And you may say, hey, we know the person tried to vote. If they're a legitimate voter, we want their vote to count. 
And I can't say that I 100% disagree with your assessment on that if you feel that way. But here's the problem. Though in those Democratic counties, they were doing that. In the Republican-leading counties, leaning counties, they were following the law, which meant they were not getting into those ballots. They were not looking to see if the signatures had been, you know, were on the paper or whether it had been dated or whatever it was. They were not doing so because state law said they were prohibited from doing that. So you can imagine by the time you reach Election Day in the Republican-leaning counties across a large state like Pennsylvania, they were forced to throw out thousands and thousands of ballots that were not filled out properly. Now, it's quite clear that the Republican counties were following the law. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. The Democratic counties, they were counting them. How do you prevent something like that? Well, everybody follows the law. Everybody follows it consistently. If that's the rule, as much as it stinks that you had people that tried to vote, hey, they filled it out wrong. It's just like failing a test. Two plus two is four. If you put five, you're wrong. Okay, you're wrong. So they filled it out wrong. It's supposed to get thrown out. If you want to change that, if you want to do it differently, it has to be changed legally through the legislature. And at the very least, everybody has to follow the same set of rules. In addition to the fact that uh, you know they were allowed to change the ballots, in some of the counties, they just they they counted them anyway. If you left your signature off, if you left off your uh, the date or whatever that legally would throw out that ballot. They counted them anyway. But in the obviously, again, once again, in the conservative counties, they did not count them. And once that, once that ballot has been run through the machine, it's counted. You can't bring it back. Now, I know we, there was multiple lawsuits filed about things like that. And I know we hear all the time, if, if you listen um, to, the, to the news media, whenever something about the election comes up and it being unfair, one of the things they will always say, they will say this every time. It's like, hey, this is the playbook. Step one, here's what, you, here's how you handle this. And, that, and that's to say Donald Trump filed 60, 70, 80, 100, I don't know how many it was, lawsuits across a bunch of different states, and he lost every single one of them. Well, that's not exactly true. He did lose some of them. But most, the majority, were never heard. Once the election happens, once the votes go in, here's the truth. These, a lot of the legislatures, but especially the judges who are going to make individual decisions on things, they do not, and that includes the Supreme Court, they do not want to get in the business of overturning a major presidential election. We saw that in the Bush v. Gore situation, and the Supreme Court has never heard the end of that, even though they were right. But they, they wouldn't touch these, and many of the courts wouldn't. They, they threw most of these out because they said that the, the plaintiffs lacked standing or or um, it was too late to be filed. A lot of those, so Trump didn't actually lose a lot of these cases. Most of these cases, they actually never went to trial, never at all. So, you know, that's that's a little point that I wanted to tack on uh, to the first episode. I, I, the first episode just got a little too long, but I'm really going to concentrate here on this particular one about what happened in 2018. Now, why, why am I jumping into 2018? That's, that's, water under the bridge that's in the past and it is and I really feel like it is I don't I don't sit around thinking about that but at the time I did save a lot of information about about what was going on I had a lot that was sent to me uh, at the time and I still have a lot of it and I didn't really expect to ever go back and look at it but 
you know, I didn't know I was going to have a podcast then. <laughs> so I do. So, hey, it's going to fit right into this episode today. But there's something else that happened here recently, actually this November, and it happened in the Montgomery County elections. Something strikingly similar to what happened here in Radford City in uh, 2018. And I want to tell you about a particular group that I think you need to know about. It is a group that I had never heard of prior to 2018, but it actually was formed in, I think, what, 2013? Maybe it was 2000, uh, 2014. Actually, I'm sorry, 2013 is correct. This organization called Next Gen America. It was an organization formed by a, a hedge fund manager, Tom Steyer, a very left-wing uh, climate activist, kind of climate Nazi, as Rush would say, um, hedge fund manager. Uh, he's a philanthropist, an environmental liberal activist. All those things rolled into one. Uh, here's the key. He had a lot of money. <laughs> he ran for president in uh, 2020. If you didn't know, he was running for the Democratic a nomination, and he did not get that, but since then has developed a pretty tight relationship with Joe Biden, um, and he uh, actually, I think Biden just recently stated his home over in uh, South uh, Lake Tahoe, California. He just recently stayed there on Biden's, I don't know what, 850th vacation day. I, I don't know how many he's taken at this point, but he stayed there. He's also, uh, he also had attended a fundraiser at uh, Tom Steyer's home back in the September of 2023 in San Francisco. San Francisco seems to be a, an important place to stire. And one of the things he formed, like I said, was a was an organization called Next Gen America. Now, what is Next Gen America? Well, I'll just read you, you know, what they call themselves. It says, Next Gen America is a progressive, and by the way, when you hear the word progressive, it means liberal. <laughs> Next Gen America is a liberal advocacy, nonprofit, and political action committee created in 2013 by billionaire hedge fund manager Tom Steyer. The group mobilizes young voters on issues including climate, health, reproductive freedom, immigration, immigration, and equality. And I think Wikipedia just copied that right from uh, Next Gen America's uh, um, description of their sales, minus the word liberal. They like the word progressive, but when you hear the word progressive, like I said, it means liberal. In my book, anyway. So that's what they do. So why in the world would Next Gen America be involved in the 2018 elections um, for you know mayor? And why again are we seeing them show up in 2023 in Blacksburg? What in the world would a group? And by the way, it's based out of San Francisco. Why in the world would we see a group like that coming to Southwest Virginia, this part of Virginia, the New River Valley, to be involved in politics? Well, I think you need to go back to the 2016 election of Donald Trump. I think when that election happened, I mentioned in, in episode one, there was kind of a call to arms throughout the media that, hey, we're not going to let something like this happen again. And they not only targeted Donald Trump, but they targeted conservatives and people they deemed Republicans, not just in Washington, D.C. and for big major elections for Senate and governor. They targeted people in that category, people like myself, in down-ballot races. Their goal was to win all those races, starting from the ground up. And in Radford City, it really began in the New River Valley. It began in 2017, 2017 in the election between Chris Hurst and Joseph Yost. Now, I mentioned to you that I would encourage you, and I still would if you have not, to go back and watch 
It's a documentary. I'm sorry, it's an hour long. This kind of stuff fascinates me. It may be boring to you, but it will teach you a lot about the election for Chris Hurst and how he won in 2017. And I, just to give you a little tip, Radford City plays a prominent role in that documentary. Now, what happened is this group came down to the Radford University campus. Their goal in 2017 was to register tons of Radford University students. Now, at the time, 2017, Radford University had 10, 11,000 students, you know, at least 10,000 here on campus. Quite a number, okay? I mean, we're talking about the, the it was the 12th district. I think the district name has changed again, but it was the tw- called the 12th district then. And, you know, it's there's a lot more than 10,000 people voting, but you can understand how that voting block, a large voting block like that, can have a significant effect on an overall election because the truth of it is, it's the total number of votes in that district wins. So they made a strategic decision at Radford University, both Chris Hurst's campaign, with the help, in my opinion, of Next Gen America, to target Radford University and its students, to register them to vote, to come out and vote in Radford, and to help sway the election for Chris Hurst for that delegate seat. Now, before I go further, and by the way, this falls under, you know, I was telling you there was categories that I was going to cover this time. And this falls under um, the category of uh, manipulating the uh, uninformed. Uh, and that's not a slight. Uh, that's not an attack on uh, on uh, college students at all. Um, but it's, it's just a fact that uh, it, it's often pretty regular. And I know I can say this because I've raised a lot of college students. I've, uh, I've had quite a few in my house. I still have one. And they're very smart. But they're often not paying attention um, to, to, to politics and things that are going on in government. They're particularly not paying attention to things that are going on in the city they did not even grow up in, uh, that they're living in. Like, for example, you know, many of the students at Radford University. I mean, it goes, it goes to reason that if you grew up in, uh, in Dundalk, Maryland, and you're coming down to Radford University to attend classes, well, you're not covering what's going on in the school board. You're not paying attention to what's going on really in the state legislature. You don't even live in Virginia. You're definitely not covering what's going on in city council and other races. You're just here. So it would be abnormal if you had a particular strong knowledge or a, what I would call a, a voter's knowledge of what's happening in the town that you're going or the city that you're going to, to college in, especially if you did not grow up in that town. So, you know, it's funny, I was, I was looking through some, some quotes uh, that, I think, that I think follow this theme a little bit. And uh, Winston Churchill once famously said that if you're not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. <laughs> and I th- you know, it's a hilarious quote, and it, it, it proves to be true most of the time. It always bothered me, though, because, you know, I always look at it and say, well, why do you not have a heart? If you're young and you're a liberal, I mean, I, I, I was, I was a conservative, uh, when I was young, I had a heart, I cared about people, but I don't think that's exactly what the quote, or at least not the way I take the quote. I think what he meant when he said, if you're not a liberal, when you're young, you have no heart. It means that it means that you, you're not easily persuadable by things that are on the periphery, things that people can convince you of, of, you know, of poverty and of, of of immigration and worrying about the planet. You, you have a soft heart to things like that when you're young because 
you don't have the benefit of experience and life lessons to learn that a lot of that stuff is bogus and a lot of that stuff is fluff. So you don't have those experiences. So you would be easily or more susceptible to snags like that to draw you in, to get you to get excited about a cause because you haven't spent 30 years past that learning that, hey, things don't necessarily work that way. Okay, here's how it seems great when you're young, but when you actually experience it in life, here's how things change and how things are different. And that's the way I take the quote. But it, it does make sense, though, that an easy target for people like Next Gen America, and by the way, yeah, it's it may have young people on the ground, but you better believe there's some old grizzled Democrats like Tom Steyer that are behind this move because they know that they can influence people that have not had the life experience like I've mentioned, and get them to do things and vote and get excited about things that when they get a little older, they're not going to be excited about. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't pause for a minute and talk about the fact that college students or university students in Virginia are allowed to vote where they go to school. And let me let you know, just so you understand something. Many people don't understand this. Some of you will be surprised when you hear this. But it's true. It was true in 2018. It's true now. Now, it's not a, a super recent. It's a not a super recent thing that's changed. But when you get on back to 2010, back in that area, they could not do this. But right now, the way the law in Virginia is, if you're a student and you're attending a university and you live there on campus or you live in um, student housing somewhere, like an apartment on the outside, whatever it is, even if you live in Muse Hall, okay, at Radford University, the one they're planning to shut down. If you live there in Muse Hall, you could go in 2018 and 2023 or 24, you could go and register to vote in the city of Radford and you could show up and vote. It didn't matter if your family lived in another state or if you lived in Fairfax, Virginia, another, another part of Virginia, not in our locality. You could show up and you could register in Radford City, and you could vote. Now, for the life of me, I don't understand why anyone would want to. I've had children go to other areas to go to school. They had no desire to register to vote in Lexington or uh, in um, Emory. No, they didn't have any desire to do that. But these people are convinced, these students have been convinced by hook or crook, and we're going to talk about Blacksburg a little bit. They're convinced to come and vote in an area that they have no standing in, they have no plan to stay in for the most part, but they're convinced to vote because they believe in a overall cause that they're told is so important that they have to get involved in. Their freedom, America, climate, um, immigration, whatever the major cause is, if they don't help, these people like, quote unquote, Keith Marshall are going to do harm overall, and you better get out and vote. You better... And so they ran large vote drives, and in the particular case in 2017, they ran large vote drives on campus to register students to vote. Now, how many did they get to register? Well, according to a quote from one of the directors with um, Next Gen America themselves, they registered 1,588 college students to vote in the 2017 election between Chris Hurst and uh, Joseph Yost. Did all of them vote? I don't know. But they registered that many, and they bragged about the number that they'd registered, 1,588. 
And by the way, that's just on the Radford University campus, 1,588. I mentioned there was about 10,000 students then. Now, on the Tech campus, I don't know what the total was. I, I did not research that. But, you know, you're looking at a lot larger base, and I'm quite sure because at that time in the 12th District, the town of Blacksburg was part of the 12th District. I don't believe it is part of the new district now that, that Ballard has and that we vote in. But it was in 2017, Blacksburg City was part of that. So I'm sure they registered a large number of students there too. And I, I bet if a person was willing to go through the, the precincts and look at the tech precincts and, and what happened in Radford, that overall probably led to the Hearst victory or at least was a strong part of it, strong part of that victory. So important points, I think. Uh, so why? So again, so why am I getting back into this now? So in here in November, in, in 2023, we just had an election in Montgomery County. Now, part of that election, uh, they were voting to pick a new delegate. You know, I mentioned that the, the 12th district was split and it was changed. And the section in Blacksburg that has Virginia Tech became part of what's called a new 41st district. And Chris Obenshane, the Republican, won a very narrow victory there in the 41st district. It was very narrow in part because of many of the votes that were coming out of Virginia Tech. Now, why, you know, again, we're back to this thing again. Why in the world, you know, Virginia Tech students come from literally all over the world. But why in the world would Virginia Tech students be interested in what's going on in the 41st district for the state house in Virginia? Naturally, they're not interested in those things at all to begin with. But they got interested enough where a large number who did not even live in the district, other than the fact that they went to school at Virginia Tech, but a large number came out and voted. So I, I, I was really curious about that. And the truth of it is, there were also some down-ballot races for school board and board of supervisors that were also being voted at the same time. And there were some very close uh, votes there. And the Democrats prevailed in several categories that was really a shocker to many people in Montgomery County because they weren't really projected to win those races. Uh, it kind of leaned towards the Republicans in most of those cases. So it was really a surprise. But what we found out, what we found out with just a little research was that this group, this Next Gen America that I'm going to talk about from 2018, they got involved in that election. Now, one of the things that's changed as a result of COVID is day of registration. Now, I got to be honest, that is the absolute dumbest thing I have ever heard. The fact that someone did not care enough about the election to register to vote, to be a participant in the election, and then show up on election day and say, hey, I, I haven't done anything, but I want to vote and I want to get involved. To me, it's just, it's just you're asking for fraud and you're asking for people to use the process you know, in a dirty way. And I think I can point out that it was used in a dirty way. And I want to reference an opinion piece that appeared in uh, what's called the Cardinal News. And you kind of see that it pops up on, on Facebook a lot. And it was a really interesting article. It was written by actually one of the, the husband of one of the candidates and someone who was working the polls in something that he found was happening uh, on election day there in Blacksburg. And the Cardinal News itself, Cardinal News proper, had written an article because, um, and this man's name, by the way, his last name is Rich. Um, he'd, he had, uh, his wife, Lindsay Rich, had run for school board. And she lost. She lost the election, a very close election. And she made a public comment about the fact that 
She lost because of the votes coming in from Virginia Tech. Now, it's my understanding that the that it was ramped up. The reason that NextGen got involved and was ramped up in this was to try to defeat Republican Chris Obenshane and give this uh, this seat, this 41st district seat, to Democrat Lily Franklin. That was their goal. They were, they were trying to push push her across the line and to beat Obenshane and get this new district because there was you know it's a tight house race in Virginia uh, and Democrats ultimately took took the uh, House of uh, House of Delegates in Virginia, but they did not take this seat. It was very close. Oban Shane actually won, but that was their goal. But as they were doing that, okay, as they got involved, they were supporting everyone that was considered Democrat or endorsed by the Democratic Party. So Next Gen America that was on campus at Virginia Tech were supporting only the Democrats. And as, as Lilly got votes as a result of this, the races that were even closer, the down-ballot races, it tipped the election for the Democrats in those cases. We act, there's actually a District E, Montgomery County Supervisor Daryl Shepard, the Republican, that lost by 31 votes to the Democrat, Anthony Grafsky. There was this, this I mentioned, this Lindsey Rich, she was school board. It's, it's, if you look at the numbers, now there was, a, there was an article, like I said, in the... Uh, in the Cardinal News proper that tried to kind of go after her for making this comment and tried to disprove uh, what she said. It was kind of amazing. When you read the article, it looked like, oh, they're going to prove that she really didn't lose because of the Virginia Tech votes. In the end, they kind of had to admit that that's actually why she lost, but she shouldn't have been complaining because nobody broke the rules. Well, she didn't complain that someone broke the rules. She complained that it's not right for students that do not live here and that do not have a stake in the community to decide elections, local elections like that. And I agree with Miss Rich. She should have been the school board choice because the majority of people that live here who send their kids to the schools in Montgomery County, they picked her, and she should have won. Uh, so, you know, that, that was quite an article. But her husband, he wrote this article, and it was really telling because, you know, I, I really love the way he put it because it wasn't he wasn't whining. He was expressing the opinion that a lot of us feel and that I'm going to go back and talk about from 2018, and it was about college students and how Next Gen America had manipulated them into voting. Now, let me tell you what they did. And I'm going also by, you know, by his piece, but also the pictures that he provided. Next Gen America showed up on campus. Now they, and, and for the precinct that was in District E, they showed up on campus, and they set up a food truck. They set up a food truck. And as students would come by, and you got to figure... There's over 30,000 students here at Virginia Tech, all right? So they set up a food truck, and as students were coming by, they were stopping him and saying, hey, how about a free lunch? i tell you what. Here's a sample ballot. Here's who we think you should vote for. Here you go into this precinct right here, and they say, oh, I'm not, even, I'm not registered to vote. I live in, I live in uh, you know, Austin, Texas. That's okay. Do you live here on campus? Yeah, I stay at such and such dorm. That's okay then. You just walk right in that door. You tell them that I want to register to vote today. They will fill out a provisional ballot for you. Here's how you can vote. They gave them a list, a little slip of paper. Uh, vote for uh, vote for this can, this Democrat. Vote for this Democrat. Vote for this Democrat. Da 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 da. And I tell you what, when you come out, they'll give you a I voted sticker. You walk right back up to us here, and I'm gonna give you some tater tots and barbecue or hot dogs or whatever it was. I'm gonna give you a free meal, and that's what they did. They literally. My personal opinion, they bought those kids' vote. The student got a free meal out of it, 
and were coerced into voting for candidates they had never even heard of, and probably for the most part, the vast majority of them will never care to hear of again. And, and I want to tell you, just from someone who has been a candidate and knows how much work that goes into going out and voting, you know, or, or, collect, or trying to get people to vote for you, knocking doors, purchasing signs, there's a lot of personal expense. There's a lot of time away from your family. You know, you take a lot of grief. You are filling out, you know, um, surveys and answering questions from newspapers. You're going to forums. You're doing, it is a ton of work. You are literally giving over your life for several months just to run the campaign, just to run the election. And to work hard and feel like you're doing well and to feel like you've gotten the majority of people, you've convinced them of what you want to do and you've showed them your credentials, they like you, and to have the majority of those prefer you only to lose an election because of something like this. And, and listen, I don't want you to get the impression by anything that I'm saying that someone who's a college student, someone that's 18 or older, should not vote. Man, I want them to vote. I want them to get involved. I want them to be paying attention to what's going on around them. But I want them to vote where they live. If they're from Austin, Texas, that's what absentee ballots are for. I want them to fill out an absentee ballot and vote in their local election in Austin, Texas. If they live in Fairfax, Virginia, and they're down in Radford City, I want them to fill out that ballot or be home for that day or however it is and vote in their local elections because, after all, that's where they live. That's where they pay their taxes, okay? They should be voting in local election. Is it legal for them to vote here? Yeah, it's legal. Is that right? Is it ethical? Is it rigging something to use those students and to get them to come out to vote just for a free meal or whatever it is? Do I think that's rigging? I do think it's rigging. It's legal, but I think it's wrong. And that's what happened in Blacksburg. And that's what kind of tweaked my interest back in this because they've taken it to a whole new game now. Now with the individual day of registration, they don't even have to get them to sign up early. They can literally just show up for on campus the day of the election and they can just rush them into the polls with free things. And you can say, is that illegal? Well, the jury's still out on that. And I, I, I believe in a national election, a federal election, I do believe it's illegal. For a state election, as long as they say that they're providing it to everyone equally, I'm not sure that that's even illegal. But truthfully, when you only provide it at a location where you know it's predominantly going to be Democratic, Okay, that's not providing it to everyone. And if they had food trucks at every precinct or every area, that would be different. But they targeted only one group. And they also didn't provide, as I was told, the information for the other candidates. All they did was provide a sample ballot for those that were running as Democrats. The students didn't know who any of those people were. All they knew is this sample ballot was in some way tied to this free meal that I just got. I might as well vote for them. What do I have to lose? It's a free meal. And they convinced me that, hey, they said something about climate, and I care about that. Like some school board member down the ticket has anything to do with the price of eggs in China when it comes to, you know, <laughs> solar panels or, 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 or fossil fuels. They have nothing to do with that. So we watched in real time as Next Gen America, this group that's out of San Francisco, founded by Tom Steyer, came down to the New River Valley again and stuck their thumb into the election and made a difference with what, you know, I listed as uninformed, you know, college students. Students that really, uh, you know, kids that really don't have a, 
skin in the game. They were convinced again. And so l- let me just go back to 2018 and, and, and just let you know what I saw then, what I learned right after the election. Some of these things I didn't see happening then. I just, it was so surprising to me when I found out afterwards and when I heard them in little bits and pieces as the campaign went on, I really didn't have my thumb on it and I, and I didn't, didn't realize fully what was happening. You know, I mentioned in 2017 that uh, this Next Gen America had been heavy into Radford City to register these 1,500 and some students to vote. You know, that was 2017, November. Our election, our election followed right after that uh, in May, uh, May 1st of 2018. So those students that were here then were still here. So I started hearing a few little things about, you know, they were still registering more and more students to vote to try to get them to vote in this local election. And I just, in my mind, I didn't believe that students would care enough to come out and vote in something like that. It just seems like, sure, you might catch a handful, but I really didn't think in, in large numbers you could get them out. By the way, before I go any further back to 2018, if you'd like to read that that article in Cardinal News that uh, Lindsey Rich's husband wrote, uh, I guess I should be fair and, and tell you what his uh, his actual name is other than, other than uh, Mr. Mr. Rich. It's actually written by uh, Daniel Rich, and, and his article was, uh, in case you don't want to just take my word for it, and I know on a podcast sometimes that's what you have to do because this is an audio deal, but on December 11th, if you want to Google Cardinal News Daniel Rich uh, December 11th, you should be able to find that, that opinion piece that he wrote, and it's worth reading. It, it kind of uh, spells out much better than I have um, what happened. He wrote a great piece on behalf of his wife, and actually on behalf of all of us because... I think it reiterates how we, most of us feel about this whole mess that's going on. But now jumping back to 2018, no, I didn't know exactly what was going on at the time. And part of that's my fault for not following a little better. Honestly, as I figured it out and tried to make some adjustments, uh, I felt, and people that were working for me felt kind of locked out of the process when it come to Rafford University. What we started to notice first was the very active young Democrats on the Radford University campus. And unlike any previous elections, you know, in, in Radford City, when you run as a spot on the school board or you run for mayor or you run for city council, you run as independents. And that had always been the case uh, in the city of Radford. Uh, we, you're not endorsed by any parties. You're running on your own merits, your own ideas. And I had run for two previous elections and one city council and that's exactly how I ran. I didn't run as a Republican. I wasn't endorsed by any party or any group. I ran as Keith Marshall, you know, a lifelong resident, someone who had some ideas. Sure, I, you know, my uh, ideas are conservative, as are most people's views at the local level when you're spending their money directly uh, from their taxes and, and, and other things. So I ran as Keith Marshall, and I, you know, I gave my views, and I knocked doors. I didn't go around as a Republican or, or hand out material that I was endorsed by anybody because I wasn't. And it was the same in 2018. I ran for the office of mayor as Keith Marshall. But what I began to notice was that not only my opponent, but the, the other people that were running for city council, and or not other, but a particular block of individuals running for city council in Radford City and for school board, had kind of joined together as one and were being endorsed as a pack by the young Democrats of Radford. In fact, um, I have uh, several screenshots and several uh, printed photos 
showing all of their campaign signs blocked together uh, with comments like party to the polls. Here's who you're voting for. So the Democratic Party within Rafford University and within the city got involved in the 2018 election. You know, I've heard some people now now in the city, uh, if you run for office, whether it's a school board or or you run for city council, uh, oftentimes you're going to be endorsed by one party or the other. And I've heard people decry that fact and say, you know, this is terrible that this is happening and, and this is wrong. And they mainly blame it on the Republicans for endorsing candidates because in the last several cycles, the Republicans have been very successful getting candidates in. But here's the truth. Republicans did not start this. Republicans were not ready for this to happen when it happened. I know because it happened in 2018. It started in 2018. And we began to see, like I said, not only the Republicans on campus, uh, or excuse me, the Democrats on campus from the Young Democrats get involved and endorse candidates, they started having rallies using Radford University in particular. They had rallies on campus with the students. And, you know, I started to have, you know, some kids that I'd coached in years past that was going to Radford University that were giving me calls and saying what they were seeing. The billboards were, you know, my opponent, David Horton, was flyers for him were all over the billboards at Radford University. They, you know, I had one that said that they had a professor stop in the middle of class and, and, and encourage all of his students to go and register to vote. At that time, you had to actually register. Uh, go and encourage them to register to vote now before the deadline. But, and they needed to vote for David Horton because they needed to defeat that little Trump guy, Keith Marshall, that's running. So, you know, some crazy things like that. I started to hear those things. And, you know, I admit it kind of gave me pause. But I thought, you know, that's just, that's just an odd case here or an odd case there. I, I don't believe that the university would allow itself to be used as a as a campaign location or let one of its employees use it that way. My opinions of Ravi University have certainly changed over the over the last uh, five or six years. But in that, at that particular time, I didn't feel like they would be a party to that or they would look the other way while it was happening. And in my opinion, they, they certainly did. So that's how it kind of started. Just some small things like that I, I started hearing. And like I said, some rallies and some and some things that were done with the candidate David Horton on campus, which seemed really odd to me considering he was an employee uh, of, the, of the university. And, and I have to admit that I had some people warn me that they believed something a little bigger was going on, kind of like what happened with the Hearst campaign was going on there on campus. And, and you know, I, I guess, and that's where, when I say that, you know, I lost this election fair and square, that's where I would say that, yeah, you know, I had some chances to, um, to jump in there and, and make a little more noise about it, although I don't know what good it would have done because there wasn't a competing young Republican. There may have been a club, but they weren't involved uh, really with the election or doing anything in comparison. So, I, you know, I, I knew this was happening. Uh, it's, it was not illegal as far as I know. I don't, I don't know about the, you know, the professors doing that and the rallies on campus if that was completely kosher with an employee of the, of the university. But you know, I, I don't know of anything illegal there. So, you know, I'm not sure what I'd done to stop it. So, you know, election day came and I started getting calls during election day from my poll workers that were working down at the precinct. Then all the Rafford University students voted in one precinct. They, after the election, it wasn't long, they put in their own precinct down there to give them even more access. But at that particular time, they all voted at the recreation center. 
And I started getting some calls from poll watchers there that say, you know, we're seeing a large number of uh, students showing up here at this, this voting. And they're coming in. They're coming in in groups. Uh, they're loud and bolsterous. They were taunting some of uh, the people that I had there handing out material. A really odd situation for a for a local election, something we had never seen before because, you know, our, we're pretty cordial at our polling places. I know I've worked a lot of polls. I've, I've handed out material, uh, both as a candidate for myself, I handed out material, but also for other people that were running. And I found people from both parties uh, to be very kind and decent and say, no, they, they don't want anything or they'll take it just to be nice and throw it away when they walk in the door or whatever. But it's very, you know, very cordial, very, um, you know, diplomatic and fair and kind. That wasn't what was going on there that day. I was I was getting reports back. Hey, Keith, there's a large number of these guys coming in here. They're coming in. They're bringing them in in vans, and they're coming in and voting. And, and you know, I, honestly, I didn't know what to think. It's really too late to think anything there. But I myself, uh, I mainly work. I did work the, that location some, but I worked a lot in West End and in Central Radford, and I was also seeing a lot of young people coming in to those polling locations as well. Students, or I assume student age individuals that I didn't know, which is odd for, for Rafford kids because all my children were in or had been in Rafford High School. I still had some in there. So I knew a lot of the students that had graduated or that were living here. And I was seeing a large number that I did not know, which I thought was odd. And they were showing up and they were saying, where do you go? Or where's the polling place? Which is, you know, kind of a telltale sign of someone who's, either never voted before or has never voted there. So I did see those things. Now, once election night was over, you know, and I had lost, um, you know, there's people that debated and say that it was because of the college students. Uh, they turned the election. I don't know. I don't know. But what I want to focus on, though, instead of what I think happened, I want to talk a little bit about what Next Gen said happened in that election. You know, they were very vocal about what happened and they were very braggadocious. And if you go back and you read the article, uh, the opinion piece that um, uh, that I was telling you that was written about the Montgomery County election uh, by Mr. Rich, um, you'll see he, he includes a, a tweet or two. And, and they were very bolsterous about what had happened in Radford City then, the day of the election. And they put out a number of tweets, and they were all by one individual. And his name uh, is a man's name, Ben Wessel. Now, I'm not sure of his exact title then. He was a director within uh, within um, this particular organization, Next Gen America, and he was out of San Francisco. And I, I did some research on him then, and I, I look back on him again before I did this podcast. He's still with the group, Next Gen America, listed as their uh, the director of Next Gen Rising the Youth Voting Organization, which is an arm of Next Gen America. Uh, he, this particular guy worked for the Cory Booker's campaign for the New Jersey Senate, He's um, He was a political campaigns manager for 350.org, which is a climate activism organization. He was the youth vote director for Obama's re-election campaign in New Hampshire. Um, and he kind of, he, he, he calls himself a, a longtime youth evangelist when it comes to, you know, I don't mean in the religious uh, realm, but I mean, he that's kind of, he's kind of telling you, Hey, this is my religion. This is what I worship. This is what I do is getting these youth votes out. So this is the guy who was making these tweets and he, and he put them out on May the 1st, 2018. And I'll just let you take them for what he said. You can believe his tweets or not believe his tweets, but certainly 
he made quite a statement on May 1st about what happened in Radford City. Now, on Election Day, that's May 1st, 2018, uh, this guy, Ben Wessel, he made eight tweets um, that he put out. Uh, and like he, as the director of uh, of the Next Gen America, he he's sitting in I guess sitting in San Francisco making tweets about Radford City, which I find quite amazing. But he he made these tweets. He made eight tweets, and he started out, and this is after the, after the election, all the votes had been tallied, and we knew the winner. But he started out by saying this: Can we talk about the lasting impact of hashtag youth vote organizing today? Progressive candidate, and by the way, progressive means liberal. But today, progressive candidate David Horton was elected mayor of Radford, Virginia. At Next Gen America, registered 1,588 at Radford University students this fall and never left. <laughs> now, clearly, he's referencing the 2017 election where they recruited all the uh, voters, Radford University's voters. And remember, then you actually had to register ahead of time, just like everybody else, uh, even though you, you didn't live here. Uh, they'd register those for the Chris Hurst election and his victory. And he's saying, hey, these students are still here, and so are we, or at least that's the way I took it. Now, I apologize for having to read the at Radford and at Radford University and at Next Gen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop reading those for the other tweets. Maybe you're supposed to, but that whole, I, I'm not a tweeter, as you can tell. I don't even know. But I, I know it's a big to the, to the younger voters then, and, and it is now. But um, I'm just going to read you what the other the other tweets say. But clearly, he, you know, he's beginning this off by saying, look, we did this. We were involved in this. And as you see these, you know, these additional tweets, additional seven tweets, uh, he makes it very clear about what happened in that election, according to him. The, the second tweet that he put up, just right after that, replying to himself, he says, those next-gen American Rafford University students helped elect Ralph Northrum and, and Justin Fairfax this fall and flipped a House of Delegates district now held by youth vote hero Chris Hurst. And then he goes on in his third tweet to say, Organizer extraordinaire Adriel Strokes stuck around Radford post-November. Remember the, the election for Chris Hurst was in November 2017, but it says this guy stuck around post-November. He said we'd registered so many, we were going to change the political makeup of the city of 1700 in southwest Virginia. Now, where's the city of 1700 in Southwest Virginia? That's your city. That's my city. That's Radford City. So this guy, he didn't he didn't even know the name of the city, really. But he's saying, you know what? We've got the voters here. We've got the students. We've got the network. We've already put it together. We're going to stick around. Chris Hurst wasn't enough. We're going to take this the government of Radford City by using these Radford University students. But Ben Wessel wasn't done. He, he went on to follow his tweet up again, his tweet up again. Now, here's what he says. Now, six months after the 2017 election, a progressive liberal candidate squeaks out a victory by 200 votes. The entire margin of victory came uh, from the student-heavy East Precinct. Well, you know where that is. Okay. You know, and, and, and what he's saying here, it's clear. The, the entire vote margin came from the recall. The votes at the recall, according to Mr. Wessel. Now he goes on again. He, he's not done. I mean, this guy was, he had a great day. And he goes on to say, fans at home might remember the East Precinct saw a massive youth turnout gains in 2017 compared to 2013. Uh, so he's talking about, hey, this precinct, this uh, East Precinct, this recall, we saw a massive difference 
in 2017 in the uh, the vote with uh, Chris Hurst versus the last election that was held for the delegate seat a couple years prior. We saw a massive difference. So, hey, he's talking about that Rafford University precinct. And he goes on. He keeps going. He goes on to the, you know, the seventh of eight tweets. And this time he posts a picture with it. But here's what he said. He said, today, dozens of Rafford University students kept the progressive liberal dream alive by increasing youth vote turnout once again. Shout out to the activists getting it done, including team. Well, what he has pictured here is he has looks like four or five uh, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen here at a booth at Rafford University. Uh, all of these next-gen people are wearing David Horton for Mayor t-shirts where it shows the, the next-gen the next gen generation team working on campus here for uh, for Mayor David Horton. Um, you know, I, I got to wonder, does it seem, and, and, and it probably isn't, and I'm not a legal, legal scholar on this, but is, do, doesn't it seem to you that if an outside-funded group comes in and works for you anywhere, and that, you know they have your paraphernalia, they're wearing your T-shirt, they're handing out materials for you, and, and they're receiving funding from somewhere else, which I assume they are. Don't know that. I assume they are. Doesn't that sound like a campaign contribution? It, it definitely is in spirit. Now, does it meet the legal definition? You know, I don't know about that. But these guys were clearly campaigning on campus. Campus. They had the mayor's swag on. They were handing out materials. Now, now one thing I did hear on the day of voting, I heard that they had a big booth like that and students were stopping. And, and one of my daughters, who's actually a Rafford University student, tried to go on campus at that same location to hand materials off, and she got run off. They didn't let her stay and give out. I, I can't remember whether it was the next-gen people that in, that kind of bullied her off or if it was the Rafford University people, but she was run off and not allowed to do that. Um, but these people were allowed to do this on campus. And he finally, um, Mr. Wessel finally ends in the, in the eighth tweet of his string to say this, the moral of the story, invest in youth vote. Do it, do it year in and you out. Trust youth organizers when they have a dream and never, never write off a community of voters. Proud of my Next Gen America family. Well, congratulations, Ben Wessel. Um, you sent college students down here and you sent a team down here that changed an election, apparently, according to your own words, and you're gone now. And so are those kids. And uh, we, we now, <laughs> we're now in a city that have spent every dollar we have. We've nearly bankrupt ourselves. We're surrounded by homeless people that are building encampments all around us. Uh, our crime is going through the roof, particularly in the area of town where, where this, this work was done. And truthfully, I, the future's not looking bright for a Radford city. Uh, we may be looking at town status before it's all over with. All with the work that was done here um, on campus and, and by the work that was done by the newspaper. You know, I started this off talking about how to rig an election. And I made it clear today in this podcast that I'm not, I'm not saying that this is illegal or it is cheating. You know, I noticed in the Cardinal News article, one of their main articles, I think I mentioned, they talked about the fact that, hey, it's not, it's not cheating. It's in the rules. You can do the same thing. And inevitably, the, the person who wrote that article for Cardinal News is correct. It's not illegal. I don't think anything that was done uh, by the mayor in 2018 to open the gates for these groups to come in and to do this, I don't think any of that was illegal. It was completely legal. He won the election uh, legally. 
by the books, he won. Uh, and I lost. But I will say this. Do I think it's rigged when the newspaper, Roanoke Times, gets involved and misleads the public and creates an impression of just dire circumstances within the city in order to favor, favor one candidate over the other? Do I think that's rigging? I do. Do I think it's rigging when an outside group from San Francisco run by uh, a, a billionaire hedge fund manager shows up, signs up a bunch of Rafferty University students, buses them to the polls, gets them to vote, and according to Mr. Wessel, changes the outcome of the government of a, of a southwest Virginia town in Virginia. Do I think that's rigging? I do think that's rigging. But it's not illegal. And truthfully, if candidates in the city are going to win against an onslaught, against the wolves that's been led in the gate here in Radford City, they're going to have to do many of the same things that we saw happen not only in 2018, but we saw happen in, in here over in Blacksburg just a few just a couple months ago. We're going to have to start doing that. And you have seen Radford City from 2018. We're not the same city when it comes to electing candidates anymore. This started here. If you don't like the fact that Republican Party and Democratic Party are endorsing candidates, if you don't like the fact that it's turned into um, D's against R's across the board, you can look back to 2018 and you can see where the wolves were let in the door. You know, wolves are pretty good at a couple things. One of them, one thing they're good at is eating everything around them. All right? They're pretty indiscriminate. They eat everything. And what else do they do? They make more wolves. All right? And in this particular case, we had a candidate in 2018 that opened the gate and let the wolves in. And now I've read a little bit here in social media lately how he's decried the fact that, you know, people go after you and people say things about you and parties are involved and people are against me. And, and you know, well, let me tell you something. You let the wolves in. Don't be upset when the wolves come to eat you too. I wish it wasn't that way either. I wished I could go back to 2016 before these outside groups from San Francisco came in and, and got involved. When you could go knock the door, knock on doors with your personal reputation, what you'd accomplished, what you had done, how hard you'd worked, the people that you knew, that knew your family. I, I wish you could go back and campaign that way now. But let me tell you, you're never going to be able to do that in Radford City again because of what happened in 2018. You're not going to be able to do it because you let the wolves in the door. And the wolves, Next Gen America, and these other groups they came in, and now no one else in Montgomery County has learned this lesson. They've learned it now in Pulaski County because they've watched what's happened. Never again are local people going to just be able to be themselves. They're going to have to be Republicans and Democrats, and they're going to have to get larger bases of operation and more money to counteract these sort of things. You know, in that opinion piece that I read uh, from Mr. Rich talking about uh, the election that happened in the school board election for his wife, you know, he, he asks, how in the world can local candidates compete against this outside money that's coming in and using university students to rig the elections? He didn't use that word, my word, but rig the elections and make it unfair where local candidates have to compete against that, where they can't just say, hey, my name is such and such, and I, I live on, on Custis Street or Fifth Street or Forest Avenue, and 
And, you know, I have this experience and I, here's a couple of my ideas. And then someone could look and say, well, you know, that's some pretty good ideas. I, I think that lady could do a good job. Or I think that guy might be all right. No, no, it's gone. Now we're going to have to say, is that a Republican? Is that a Democrat? Or how do they feel about Trump? Did you vote for Trump? I, you know, those are the kind of things that we're going to deal with now because the wolves are here. And like I said, wolves eat whatever's in, whatever's in their way indiscriminately. They don't, they don't care. And they're here now, and we got to deal with it. And, and I, honestly, I, I hope I'm wrong about my prognosis, that it's never going to change. I, I hope it can change. I know all things are possible. I do know that. But just based on my experience and what I see on a day-to-day basis as someone who's involved in campaigning, someone who's watching the numbers, I don't have a lot of confidence that it can or that it will. And I feel like we've crossed a plateau there that we should have never crossed. And it, it changed Radford politically forever, I believe. Now, I've made it clear throughout this podcast, and, I, and, I, and I, I've overdone it, I know, to make sure that, that you know that I'm not in any way trying to say that this election was rigged and I really won because I didn't, and I've said that over and over. <clears throat> and I get asked a lot, a lot, about the 2018 election. And I try to avoid it. I try not to talk about it. Um, but people ask me, and they're still upset about it. They really are. And, and, and truthfully, it wasn't just a mayoral election. There was also some other you know, city council spots and, and school board. And uh, they were also affected by what happened in, uh, in 2018, both from the Roanoke Times and from the uh, next-gen work within the city. They were affected, and their, their, their um, vote totals were affected with that too. But one of the questions I get asked a lot, all the time, and, and I've told you what Ben Wessel said with, with Next Gen America and how he proclaimed that, hey, we changed this election. Do I believe that enough Rafford University students come out and voted that, that changed the election? And I, I will honestly say I do not know. And I've said that from the beginning. I know some have said there wasn't enough that voted and some that said there was. And I know um, a lot of the anecdotal information that I have based on what my poll workers were saying from from East End when they were showing up in large quantities and vans and other things, and based on um, you know um, some other some other things that we saw, based on you know what Mr. Wessel said, uh, his prognosis of what happened and the numbers that they were looking at, um, th- there are some evidence that they did have a have an impact on it. I don't know. I know that I know that we had a large number show up in East End, and they were also showing up in other polling places as I've noticed, because they don't all live at the campus proper. They're, they're renting houses in different places all around, the, uh, all around the city. But I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I believe in my heart to be true. I believe that a combination of what the Roanoke Times did with their, with their phony article and these next-gen work and these, these Radford University students that were coming in and voting I believe that changed the election. Either one of them may have been able to do it by themselves, but I definitely believe a combination of the two had a large effect on the election. But irregardless of what the cause was, or maybe maybe in the end they, the city, the majority of citizens just wanted another direction. That's, that's completely plausible too. But I think it's important either way. It doesn't matter. That, that election's, that, that water is under the bridge, as I said. Either way, we have to do something going forward in 2024. We have to change the direction that we're going with this voting. 
The wolves are here. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to provide them more food, more fodder? Are we going to change it? Now, let me say one thing about this. When I say wolves, Radford University students, Virginia Tech students, are not the wolves. And In this analogy, they're kind of the food. But they're not the wolves. And I believe that Radford University students, Virginia Tech students, absolutely should be able to vote. Anybody that is legally at the legal age to vote and hasn't disqualified themselves for some other reason, they should be given the opportunity to vote. But I believe strongly you need to vote in the area that you live in. If you live in Radford City, that's where you should vote. If you live in Austin, Texas, you should be doing a mail-in ballot, uh, you know, uh, an absentee ballot to vote there. Same thing if you live in Fairfax. That's what you should be doing. That's the area that you live, and that's the area that you and your family pay taxes in. That's where you should vote. Because if it continues the way we're doing, we're disenfranchising the citizens that actually live in the community. You know, a revolution was, you know, was, was for taxation without representation. And when you get to the point where you're paying taxes in a city, but you're not getting to choose who your representatives are because the, the ballot boxers are being flooded with people from out of town, well, that, that's the very definition of taxation without representation. And we're heading that way. And I think the people in Montgomery County woke up this morning to an article in the newspaper about some changes that are immediately being made by the new Democratic majority. And they can thank, in part, the fact that they had out-of-town students at Virginia Tech voting to pick who their representatives would be. And I don't think it's right. And I think most clear, level-headed people, if they'll get past the point of as long as I win, I don't care how I win. If you can get past that point and you can look at what's right and what's wrong, I think you would agree that you should vote in the area where you live, not where you stay in a dorm somewhere. I do not believe that's right. That's my personal opinion, and it's a strong opinion. I believe most most share that opinion as well. And it's it's incumbent now on Chris Obenshane that just won that 41st district. The fact is that many of those down-ballot candidates lost because you were being targeted. Now, that's not your fault, obviously, but many of those lost because you were being targeted. And yes, you won. You squeaked yours out. You had the infrastructure to handle something like that, but that school board candidate didn't have that kind of infrastructure. Some of those board of supervisors people did not have that kind of infrastructure. And it's incumbent upon you, Mr. Obenshane. It's also incumbent on you, Jason Ballard, and you, Travis Halfworth, our representatives here from Radford in Richmond, that we put a stop to some of this. I don't believe we should have day of registration. I don't agree with that. I don't believe we should have anyone, depending on where they happen to be going to college, can vote in that community. I believe they should have to vote absentee. I believe the laws in Virginia need to be corrected to be fair to the citizens not to keep people from voting, not to block legitimate voters, but to make sure we're voting where we live. That makes sense. And I believe it's incumbent upon you three men and others in the General Assembly to do the right thing for Virginia and protect the voting rights and the sanctity of elections for people in in communities like Radford City and Montgomery County and Pulaski County and Giles County and other areas, particularly the ones like Radford and, and Montgomery County that are affected because we have, uh, you know, state universities here in our community. We're glad we have them, but things need to be done fairly. So I think I've covered all this. I think I've went through it. I hope it makes sense. And I probably belabored a few points a little too long, and I apologize. But I'm going to finish this up. It's a tough subject. It's one that's, uh, 
you know, I'm just going to be direct with it. I know it's easier just to not talk about these things. And I know you put a target on your back when you do, but you know what? I, I'm just going to, I'm going to let you know how I feel and I'm going to put it out there. And you may agree, disagree. Something tells me the majority of level head common sense people, this will make sense to them and they'll agree. But I want to finish this as I always do with, with the theme verse. And as always, it's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I'm always happy for you to join me here on the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen. It means a lot to me. I appreciate the comments, the emails, the private messages, all the things that come in. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate the encouragement that many of you give me. I have enjoyed doing these and, and I want to put out information. I realize a lot of this is my opinion and this is my take on it, but it does come from experience. It does come from some things that I've watched and learned and researched myself. And I want to give you good information based on what I've learned and what I know. But as always, like I said, I appreciate you joining me. Appreciate you getting in the ring with me. And I, and I hope that God blesses you and your family richly. And I look forward to seeing you here again on One More Round Podcast.